Lynette Ridgeway. That's her, said Mr. Burnaby, the landlord of the Three Crowns. He nudged his companion. The two men stared with round, bucolic eyes and slightly open mouths. A big scarlet Rolls Royce had just stopped in front of the local post office. A girl jumped out, a girl without a hat and wearing a frock that looked, but only looked, simple. A girl with golden hair and straight autocratic features. A girl with a lovely shape. A girl such as was seldom seen in Malton Underwood. With a quick imperative step, she passed into the post office. That's her, said Mr. Burnaby again. And he went on in a low, awed voice. Millions she's got. Going to spend thousands on the place. Swimming pools there's going to be, and Italian gardens, and a ballroom, and half of the house pulled down and rebuilt. She'll bring money into the town, said his friend. He was a lean, seedy-looking man. His tone was envious and grudging. Mr. Burnaby agreed. Yes, it's a great thing for Malton Underwood. A great thing it is. Mr. Burnaby was complacent about it. Wake us all up proper, he added. Bit of a difference from Sir George, said the other. Ah, it was the horses did for him, said Mr. Burnaby indulgently. Never had no luck. What did he get for the place? Oh, a cool sixty thousand, so I've heard. The lean man whistled. Mr. Burnaby went on triumphantly. And they say she'll have spent another sixty thousand before she's finished. Wicked, said the lean man. Where'd she get all that money from? Well, America, so I've heard. Her mother was the only daughter of one of those millionaire blokes. Quite like the pictures, isn't it? The girl came out of the post office and climbed into the car. As she drove off, the lean man followed her with his eyes. He muttered, uh, It all seems wrong to me, her looking like that. Money and looks. It's too much. If a girl's as rich as that, she's no right to be a good looker as well. And she is a good looker. Got everything that girl has. Doesn't seem fair. Extract from the social column of the Daily Blog among those supping at Chez Martante, I noticed beautiful Lynette Ridgway. She was with the Honourable Joanna Southwood, Lord Windlesham and Mr Toby Bryce. Miss Ridgway, as everyone knows, is the daughter of Mellowish Ridgway, who married Anna Hartz. She inherits from her grandfather, Leopold Hartz, an immense fortune. The lovely Lynette is the sensation of the moment, and it is rumoured that an engagement may be announced shortly. Certainly Lord Windlesham seemed very épris. The Honourable Joanna Southwood said, Oh, darling, I think it's going to be perfectly marvellous. She was sitting in Lynette Ridgway's bedroom at Wode Hall. From the window, the eye passed over the gardens to open country with blue shadows of woodlands. It's rather perfect, isn't it? said Lynette. She leaned her arms on the windowsill. Her face was eager, alive, dynamic. Beside her, Joanna Southwood seemed somehow a little dim, a tall, thin young woman of twenty-seven with a long, clever face and freakishly plucked eyebrows. And you've done so much in the time. Did you have lots of architects and things? Three. What are architects like? I don't think I've ever met any. Well, they were all right. I found them rather unpractical sometimes. Oh, darling, you soon put that right. You are the most practical creature. Joanna picked up a string of pearls from the dressing table. I suppose these are real, aren't they, Lynette? Yes, of course. I know it is of course to you, my sweet, but it wouldn't be to most people. Heavily cultured or even Woolworth. Darling, they really are incredible, so exquisitely matched. They must be worth the most fabulous sum.
Rather vulgar, you think? No, not at all. Just pure beauty. What are they worth? About fifty thousand. What a lovely lot of money! Aren't you afraid of having them stolen? No, I always wear them, and anyway, they're insured. Oh, let me wear them till dinner time, will you, darling? It would give me such a thrill. Lynette laughed. Of course, if you like. You know, Lynette, I really do envy you. You've simply got everything. Here you are at twenty, your own mistress, with any amount of money, looks, superb health. You've even got brains. When are you twenty-one? Uh, next June, I shall have a grand coming-of-age party in London. And then, are you going to marry Charles Wendelsham? All the dreadful little gossip writers are getting so excited about it, and he really is frightfully devoted. Lynette shrugged her shoulders. I, I don't know. I don't really want to marry anyone yet. Darling, how right you are! It's never quite the same afterwards, is it? The telephone shrilled, and Lynette went to it. Yes, yes. The butler's voice answered her. Mr. Belfort is on the line. Shall I put her through? Belfort? Oh, of course, yes. Put her through. A click and a voice, an eager, soft, slightly breathless voice. Hello, is that Miss Ridgeway, Lynette? Oh, Jackie, darling, I haven't heard anything of you for ages and ages. Oh, I know it's awful, Lynette. I want to see you terribly. But, darling, can't you come down here? My new toy. I'd love to show it to you. Well, that's just what I want to do. Well, jump into a train or a car. Right, I will. A frightfully dilapidated two-seater. I bought it for fifteen pounds, and some days it goes beautifully, but it has moods. If I haven't arrived by tea time, you'll know it's had a mood. So long, my sweet. Lynette replaced the receiver. She crossed back to Joanna. That's my oldest friend, Jacqueline de Belfort. We were together at a convent in Paris. She's had the most terribly bad luck. Her father was a French count. Her mother was an American, a southerner. The father went off with some woman, and her mother lost all her money in the Wall Street crash. Jackie was left absolutely broke. I don't know how she's managed to get along the last two years. Joanna was polishing her deep blood-coloured nails with her friend's nail pad. She leant back with her head on one side, scrutinising the effect. Darling, she drawled, won't that be rather tiresome? If any misfortunes happen to my friends, I always drop them at once. It sounds heartless, but it saves a lot of trouble later. They always want to borrow money off you, or else they start a dressmaking business, and you have to get the most terrible clothes from them. Or they paint lampshades, or do batik scarves. So, if I lost all my money, you'd drop me tomorrow. Oh yes, darling, I would. You can't say I'm not honest about it. I only like successful people, and you'll find that's true of nearly everybody. Only most people won't admit it. They just say that really they can't put up with Mary or Emily or Pamela any more. Her troubles have made her so bitter and peculiar. Poor dear. Oh, how beastly you are, Joanna. Oh, I'm only on the make like everyone else. I'm not on the make for obvious reasons. You don't have to be sorted when good-looking, middle-aged American trustees pay you over a vast allowance every quarter. Well, you're wrong about Jacqueline," said Lynette. "She's not a sponge. I've wanted to help her, but she won't let me. She's as proud as the devil. Well, what's she in such a hurry to see you for? I'll bet she wants something. You just wait and see. But she sounded excited about something," admitted Lynette. Jackie always did get frightfully worked up over things. She once stuck a penknife into someone. Ah,、oh, darling, how thrilling! 
<laughs> a boy who was teasing a dog. Jackie tried to get him to stop. He wouldn't. She pulled him and shook him, but he was much stronger than she was, and at last she whipped out a penknife and plunged it right into him. There was the most awful row. <laughs> I should think so. It sounds most uncomfortable. Lynette's maid entered the room. With a murmured word of apology, she took down a dress from the wardrobe and went out of the room with it. "'What's the matter with Marie?' asked Joanna. "'She's been crying.' Oh, "'Poor thing. You know I told you she wanted to marry a man who has a job in Egypt, but she didn't know much about him, so I thought I'd better make sure he was all right. It turned out that he had a wife already, and three children.' "'What a lot of enemies you must make, Lynette!' "'Enemies?' Lynette looked surprised. Joanna nodded and helped herself to a cigarette. "'Enemies, my sweet, you're so devastatingly efficient, and you're so frightfully good at doing the right thing!' Lynette laughed. "'Why, I haven't got an enemy in the world!' Lord Windlesham sat under the cedar tree. His eyes rested on the graceful proportions of Wode Hall. There was nothing to mar its old-world beauty. The new buildings and additions were out of sight round the corner— it was a fair and peaceful sight, bathed in the autumn sunshine. Nevertheless, as he gazed, it was no longer Wode Hall that Charles Windlesham saw. Instead, he seemed to see a more imposing Elizabethan mansion, a long sweep of park, a bleaker background. It was his own family seat, Charltonbury, and in the foreground stood a figure, a girl's figure, with bright golden hair and an eager, confident face, Lynette as mistress of Charltonbury. He felt very hopeful. That refusal of hers had not been at all a definite refusal. It had been little more than a plea for time. Well, he could afford to wait a little. How amazingly suitable the whole thing was. It was certainly advisable that he should marry money, but not such a matter of necessity that he could regard himself as forced to put his own feelings on one side. And he loved Lynette. He would have wanted to marry her even if she had been practically penniless instead of one of the richest girls in England. Only, fortunately, she was one of the richest girls in England. His mind played with attractive plans for the future. The mastership of the Roxdale, perhaps. The restoration of the West Wing. No need to let the Scotch shooting. Charles Windlesham dreamed in the sun.